0: That's n o o m dot com to sign up today.
1: What is happening? Welcome to another episode of Talking Pitching. Uh, my name is Nick Pollock, and uh, we uh, we've done a lot of these in the past. We didn't do so many in the past year. We had Josiah Gray back in uh, March of 2021, of course during COVID. Uh, we had a lot of pitchers: Pablo Lopez, Caleb Smith, Nelson Figueroa, Jerry Blevins. A lot of people with different perspectives of the game uh, on this podcast, and I was very very thrilled. To find that I could talk to Andrew Triggs today. Yeah, no,
0: I'm thrilled to be here. The world is small. So uh, this is fun. I'm excited to talk pitching and I'm thrilled to hear Jerry Blevins has been on before. So he, uh, oh man, we overlapped really briefly in 2019 camp and then uh, early on in in Las Vegas and AAA, but totally a gem. One of my favorite people in baseball
1: one of the best podcasts we've done um if you don't know his mound visit story uh everybody listening you should just listen to that podcast just for that sure Talking about how uh dan morethan came out for a surprising visit once for him but yeah jerry Blevins, wonderful guy uh but i'm really excited to talk about uh your journey everything that you've been through being a pitcher how it started how you developed into the pitcher that you were which was i think a very unique arm in the majors. Um, I want to hear all about it. Uh, and, uh, let's start from the very beginning. You, you played high school baseball in Nashville mm-hmm. and were you exactly the same trigs that we knew in the majors then, or were you a different animal there?
0: I was essentially, I know the arm slot was, a, was most, mostly the same. I was a bit crossfire. Um, And I got a theory about when I became even more across my body, I I think probably like 60 to 70% of guys are slightly crossfire or Mm -hmm. small percentage or straight on. I was the extreme, but I was essentially always that low arm slot. And, um, I don't really know when I became so crossfire, but I think it had something to do with a shoulder injury I had in college in 2010. Um, which I can go into that and why I think it made my breaking ball a little bit better, even though I tore the laborman in my shoulder. But yes, to answer your original question. Yes. I was, uh, I was always kind of that pitcher, you know, lots of two seamers, low arm slot and uh, you know, positioning on the rubber changed here and there, but I think you kind of are who you are early on. Yeah. um, At least that was the case for me. It wasn't a conscious uh, decision to engineer a unique and quirky delivery. It's just kind of what I was.
1: Right. Okay. So I definitely do want to hit on the the why that made your breaking ball better. Absolutely. But just to go into the um, yeah, you're being cross body. I mean, to say that your cross body is in some way is generous and doesn't really tell the whole tale because you were an ultra cross body guy. Right. Uh, if there's something about you want to know about Triggs, you know, you were stepping. You were essentially. I think by the end of the, your career, were on the third base side. And then would step even more extreme. And I used to joke about this in college because I'm six foot four. I'm a lanky Michael Lankerson. That I would uh, throw sidearm at times, and uh, you know, be on the far side of the rubber, and I could get really behind it. And I I never did it in game, but I always thought to myself, maybe this would actually work. And how did you progress to eventually be as cross body as you were? I mean, I've seen kids I was giving pitching lessons that would be innately cross body at ten years old or so, and we try not to to do that is what we were told because it would put a lot of strain on your shoulder and it would sure. be hard to command. Of course, that diff- it's different timing when you're that low in that cross body going across, but you really fell into it well. And, uh, I'm kind of curious what the progression of that was.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if it was gradual or sudden, but I do know. So I fiddled with first base and third base side of the rubber really through high school and college, you know, sometimes the middle, it doesn't have to be either or. Um, and then I tore the labrum in my shoulder, my red shirt sophomore year in college. And I was really the one year I was sort of a prospect draft wise. Sure, uh, Missed my final four starts kind of fell off the radar and was thankfully able to avoid surgery but it was a really, really long, slow, gradual process. I think I was throwing like 84, 87 in the fall, going back into the redshirt senior year. And um, my breaking ball actually got a little bit sharper as that year progressed and my velo slowly came back. And for whatever reason, I think just keeping my you know, arm exposed when I would step more straight I could just feel that pressure and that tension and that pain in the front of the shoulder for whatever reason when I was a bit more crossfire it just felt more protected you know Mm -hmm. in spite of all the shoulder exercises I was doing it would still pinch and you just can't go 95 or 100 percent effort right right so my velo kind of spiked back up when I shifted a bit more over there and um, you know like you said it's more difficult to command, but your breaking ball, at least I thought it tightened up your window to really get that perfect release and spin is mm-hmm. smaller. But if you get it just right, not just the angle, but I think it forces you to be more precise. And the more precise you are, the more repeatable you are. And the more repeatable you are, the, you know, more success you can have, you know, and Absolutely. dump the breaking ball in there two zero or 2-1 or 0-2 or whatever you need to do. So, that was i don't i don't really know when but i think that had something to do with it and then uh i was able to have a decent last year or so and then uh just stuck with it cuz it worked and then from there i didn't really shift off the uh third base side except for uh for a brief time when i was trying to figure out if i was getting hurt cuz i was so far over there but at a certain point you just kind of say you know this is who i am and i'll deal with it injuries and all so <laughs>
1: Um, and I, uh, you know, I think what you're talking about a lot there is I remember distinctly there'd be days I felt that I was pitching behind the ball, um, instead of it coming out properly, you know, like there was this, when you release it, you can feel in your shoulders, you're saying kind of the pinch of, as you release the ball, you can feel if it's, if this is coming out cleanly and smooth and everything is, um, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like in my mind, there's this little spark of light of just this. it's exactly right. You know, you feel it and it's just this is there was no inhibitions. No, nothing in my body saying, no, this was just absolutely what's supposed to be. And then other times when you're throwing them, it's like you're dragging your shoulder along almost. Um, and, And I think that's what you're describing is that after the injury, you're like, oh, wait, this is a lot smoother than it was before.
0: Yeah, and it it wasn't really like I sat down and, you know, wrote out a list of, you know, (laughs) what can I do to make this feel better? It was just, you know, having to go out there and hit my throwing progression, even though my shoulder was barking and I really didn't want to get shoulder surgery because, I mean, this was 10 years ago. And it's wild to think about it now, but at least anecdotally from teammates I've spoken to who've had shoulder surgeries, it really has progressed a fair amount. At that time, it was kind of seen as not as bad necessarily as thoracic outlet a coin flip in terms of having success but it was highly cautioned against getting surgery so avoiding right. that was preeminent and trial and error that's just what felt least bad and then i kind of figured it out that it worked a little bit for me too and you're just trying to stay healthy and pitching was really how yeah
1: I well did. right so, uh, absolutely
0: but yeah you're um, right there, there, there is really some uh you can't put your finger on it but Way it jumps out, like you just kind of know it's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just repetitions and doing it more and more. And that's just
1: what works for me, I guess. I wish I mean, I that's the addiction is, is getting that feeling again every single right. time you throw the ball. Well, it's it fun
0: too when you're yeah. not <laughs> yeah. out of 10 throws.
1: Absolutely. Um, and also, I mean, the, the the other element there about throwing cross body so much that I see a ton, you know, in the majors these days, you have a guy like Zach Godley who threw crossbody a lot and had seasons of amazing success. And then not so much. You lost that feel the next year. Adam Adovino would do it in season two, three weeks of the best pitcher on the planet. And then all of a sudden can't throw a strike in his next performance. Um, and did you go through that a lot as uh, you know, throwing a lot of cross body? Did you feel that you were in this constant battle with your command or did you actually feel, no, I'm in rhythm as uh, th- consistently through my career.
0: Not really. I think, uh, for me i I had probably a stretch of health from when i was drafted to really 2016 2017 and i I really rarely ever was worried about command there um because i felt like i had it pretty calibrated and for me whenever command was a massive issue it was almost always something physical that you're fighting Hmm. and you just you're trying to figure it out that was just you know me i never threw terribly hard so even back in college, I knew walking guys and commanding it was needed to be kept to a minimum. And, uh, so I really didn't feel like I was fighting for me. I was fighting my body when, you know, the injury started stacking up and you're just trying to tread water at a certain point.
1: Yeah. And how did you deal with that? You know, it's, it's the biggest misfortune of sports. If you ask me is we, we know the ability of players, but sometimes, you know, the, you know, your body just doesn't agree. Uh, and that must've been, you know, I remember from afar, we were always very excited. Oh, Andrew Triggs, his breaking ball is amazing. We're really excited for him getting these opportunities. And then at times, you know, it it just said, no, you can't do it. Uh, how did you, you know, how did you deal with that? How did you get back on the horse after?
0: Well, it was really frustrating. Um, especially when they just started stacking up year after year, I mean, I had two hips and a TOS for 17, 18, 19. Um, but You know, that's just part of the game. It's unfortunate. But, you know, if we're going to be real rational, I mean, if if no one ever got injured, you know, there wouldn't be any guys throwing crossfire, you know, 90 miles an hour. You'd have every kid who gets drafted throwing 98. Right. In the big leagues, you know, and it'd be someone like me, but he would be throwing 96. So I think it's just part of the natural attrition As guys get hurt, guys stay healthy. And, you know, you can have some guys with maybe marginal talent who learn to develop into really good average or above average pitchers. And they play 12 years in the league. So injuries are part of it. It's no fun to deal with it. It's a real, it's so much less fun to go out there when you know you're 70% of your best. Um, It's still fun to compete, but it really is, you know, trite to say, but it's part of the game and you just kind of have to endure it on your personal level and understand that, Everybody has dealt with something. So
1: yeah, that's incredibly rational, and I'm upset because I just want to (laughs) be upset for what we didn't see of Andrew Triggs in the majors for you. Okay, we wish we saw more than we did, Um, but I do want to talk about you know more about the beginning here. So you were pitching at USC, um, and you were saying that you weren't necessarily getting looked at at first, and or then you started to get some attention. You had the surgery. Um, Or not the surgery, you were recovering, of course. And then you get drafted by the Royals. uh, And you make your first uh, appearance in um, reserve ball in 2012. Uh, What was that process like? Did you know you were going to get drafted? Uh, Talk to us about becoming a major leaguer.
0: Yeah, no, I I had a sense that year that I would. I just didn't really know how high. Uh, You know, superficially, I thought it'd be cool to get into the teams at least because I got in the 21st round the year before it, so you know fourth pick overall but of the 19th round uh yeah, a little bit And so uh no it was great i was thrilled to get drafted i would, i had a sense because i'd finished the season healthy thankfully and i you know i'd done fairly well um and i was just excited i don't think there was anybody more excited to be 23 years old going to rookie ball than i was so i i was just thrilled to have an opportunity and not to have gotten hurt again that last year and so um it was fun. Started there and was fortunate enough to finish in low A that first season. And then um, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, we can go year by year if you'd like, but I, I love the minor league experience. And Maybe I'm looking back on it with rose colored glasses and, you know, sleeping on air mattresses and cramming into apartments. Sounds fun in hindsight, but I remember it as being kind of fun while I
1: was playing. That's amazing. I think this is the first uh, person who has told me that they were like, oh, yeah, uh, my time in the minor is great. Loved it. It was, I had a wonderful time.
0: Well, I had a a great core group of guys I came up with in the minor leagues. And I just felt like I had good teammates throughout, which makes it more fun. And definitely, I don't know. It was, it was a fun little adventure traveling around the country and playing places. And um, I just like playing baseball too. So yeah, sure. It was fun and not having to worry about school, honestly, too. Mm. You know, I, I wasn't you know, maybe as diligent as I could have been in undergrad, but I still took it fairly seriously. And it was a relief to get into baseball where that's your job and you don't have any other concerns or.
1: It's other a things clear like purpose, that. right? It's, it's all of a sudden, you know, you have the haze of school and the anxiety associated with that too. And you feel like you're getting pulled in multiple directions. And finally you just say, look, this is the thing I want to do. I get to do that. And everything you do is just centered on that purpose yeah that's a great feeling
0: yeah so i think it was partly that and partly i just like it and i mean there were definitely grindy periods but um overall i, I really enjoyed the process I thought it was and,
1: w- and what was the difference between um you know it's 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 obviously different now you know i think we were talking earlier about uh the change of the game and maybe analytics purposes but also just you know, the the sense of baseball now is definitely different than it was in 2012. Um, but the Royals versus USC, did it was it a jump for you even in the minors, uh, of how development uh, w- was done?
0: Not really as much. I uh, I thought I, I think just being able to pitch more often. Um, I was a reliever that first year in the minor leagues after being a starter in college and then. Um, wound up relieving for most of the rest of my career, but I liked being able to pitch every single day and maybe just knowing that there was a game every single day, instead of pitching your once a week and waiting. Um, And from a development side, I think it was just pitching more and playing more and having that be, you know, instead of 13 starts, you know, you might get 25 in the minor leagues or 50 to 60 appearances, maybe as a reliever for me sort of learn by doing is applied in a lot of disciplines in life. And that definitely was the case with baseball. I felt like I just, I felt like I got better when I was able to play more and staying healthy is obviously part of that too. Right. Uh, But development wise, I was a little bit older and I threw kind of funny and I wasn't necessarily in that mold that the Royals, uh, I assume still like, but they really liked at that time, the big guy threw really hard overhand curveball, And I was not that. Um, So they kind of let me do my own thing. So it's sort of development on your own, Um, but great coaches, awesome people there. I love that organization. It's uh, it was great. I just read Christian Cologne went back there as a, uh, as a coach since he retired this year. So uh, there's a reason people keep winding up back in that organization. It's really solid folks there.
1: Nice. And so I guess as far as, uh, fine tuning your repertoire goes, right. I, uh, did you essentially have this stuff in high school and then it just carried over into USC and then it carried over into the majors?
0: No, I had really none of it in high school. I had a, I had a decent, you know, two seam fastball that moved a lot. Um, but the breaking ball I, I developed in college, um, and I was grasping for something because my little high school breaking ball was not very good. And I was coming off a of Tommy John actually when I started at USC. And so I just lost feel for it. Um, I grew like three inches and gained like 40 pounds too. I had like a different body and a different elbow and forgot how to throw my breaking ball, but it was kind of mediocre to bad to begin with. So it was fine to learn a new one. So I learned that in college. Um, Actually borrowed that from Tommy Malone, even though it's kind of an oh, really pander. Uh, and I was the side sling and righty. For whatever reason, the way he gripped it the way he showed me that he held it and finger pressure worked for me. Um, which I think is you learn a ton from your teammates just by practicing
1: with stuff. Was it was it the pop the gun, which is the popular one? I never did that one, or was it more of the Barry Zito, which relies on your uh so index? You flip finger it around, finger. so like hold a two-seater. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't have a baseball with you. You know, That's all good. That's too bad. But yeah, that, and then just sort of slide your index finger over to your middle finger. So keep your middle finger on the seam and then push yep. it up the ball a little bit, up the horseshoe. And then I liked my middle finger on the inside of the seam right there. So yeah,
1: there you go. So, okay, so you are, so this is more of the pop the gun way. So essentially your, your middle finger is doing the one on the, the work on the seam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not using your index finger really for much of anything else. of support of that uh, yeah. middle finger.
0: And there's just sort of an unspeakable like friction that you should feel but that I like to feel along the length of my middle finger yeah definitely no it's
1: not like the top of your uh, yep. your middle finger all the way down through it right as you go down yeah definitely no so that's essentially yeah, yeah, that was that's the, yeah. yeah so that's the um, the normal pop of The gun has the the bottom of the horseshoe underneath your middle finger you're saying no. I want that at the top. I actually want the yeah. smoothness of the ball. Like underneath.
0: the horseshoe right there.
1: Yeah. So that so did Tommy Malone do that same one but with his left hand, so that's like he has the horseshoe underneath his, his middle finger? From what
0: I remember him showing me in the outfield when we were shagging during BP. He yeah, uh, that's what he showed me and I remember playing catch with a couple and thinking, Oh, like finally yeah. it doesn't feel
1: See, foreign when I It's first. always shagging in the outfield. That that's that's it, you know. Where does pitch development happen? It's in the outfield. Just go get some fly balls. Talk yeah, to your does. teammates that's and that's it. it. Go talk to your yeah.
0: teammates who are better than you at certain <laughs> stuff. You'll probably learn something eventually. So Absolutely. But um, yeah, so that was a college thing. And then I went into, but it was inconsistent throughout college. I mean, it just took repetitions to get it. You know, you'll throw, see, so you throw 10 breaking balls in a bullpen, at least for me in college, one out of 10 would be good. Six out of ten would be you know decent for college, and three out of ten would be awful. Um, But then fast forward four years, it might be three out of ten were good, six out of ten were okay, and one was awful. And then just the more you do it, then it's eight out of ten are really good. Um, So it, it just it took time, and it got better in college. I mean, in the minor leagues, and so I was essentially two pitchers in the minor leagues, and I knew. I was having success with that, but I knew I needed a third. It failed. I mean, I had a horrible changeup that was technically in my arsenal, but I never threw it because it wasn't very good, and I never could develop a good feel for it.
1: uh, Uh, That's because of the ring finger, I assume. It's just, you know, the most of them are circle changes that uh, require your ring finger to do things all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, and I I fiddled with stuff, and pronation was never a problem. and I could really get on the side, and I threw a few... Like, out of thousands of throws, I probably threw a couple that were actually quite good. I could never find a way to repeat it. Just never found something that worked. And then spring training 2015 on the minor league side with the Royals, I finally fiddling with cutters. And uh, one clicked one day, just by mm. catch on the backfield somewhere. And uh, I remember my catch partner at the time being like, I oh, was actually really good. You should go use that in your bullpen right now. And uh, I did it. it was like, ah. Oh, Again, like that's easy to repeat. I know what that's going to feel like. And then that was a quicker, you know, uptake than the breaking ball was. And it was a good pitch for me from twenty fifteen on. So and that's kind of what I use as a cheap changeup, because again, I continued to try it, you know, in Oakland. I tried to work on it, could never fiddle with it. So then I just started using the, the backdoor cutter as sort of a you know, fill in change up. So um,
1: that was yep. essentially how it developed was those Year by year, so yeah. we we have a GIF on your on your page of a really nice change up you threw in 2018. Do you? Uh, we like to we like to believe that that was what it always looked like. Um, it, it faded away from someone on the Orioles, and of course, it's always an Oriole who swings and misses. I'm sorry, fast yeah. but you are, but I uh, 2018. <laughs> 2018. It's okay. what we have for There's you. it. Game in Oakland, right? Yep, okay. that's it. Yeah. Uh, well, it was yeah, uh, and then um, but you only had a four percent swing strike rate on that changeup, which is.
0: And honestly, aware. I think those things might have picked up slow fastballs or flat <laughs> covers as changeups. Honestly, because there you go. I've no, I'm not kidding. I really yeah. think I threw probably fewer than ten in my entire career. <laughs> so those they are probably more than ten in there.
1: Right. Um, this one was 82 miles off. per hour. It looks like it has some arm side run, but. Um, It's more about the drop is what what has it going. And I. Uh, so, I mean, is that that curveball you were describing, the Tommy Malone one, is that the, first of all, is that a curveball? Because we were trying to wonder if that's a slider, a slurve, whatever, you know.
0: I, I think even the guy doing the charts in the minor leagues would ask, what do you call it? I, say, I hold it like a curveball, but if you right. want to call a slider, go ahead. Because it, it was really neither. But, well, uh, it's
1: like it's like Rich Hill in this way because you're gripping it like a curveball, but your arm release, you know, is as if it's a slider, right? Like a slider essentially would be flat on the ball going on top of, and that's right. essentially what you're doing as you bring down your arm. Uh, I'm going to call it a curveball because you just call it a curveball. I think that's great. I'm happy to correct everybody now over the past I really five years.
0: People want to call it a slider. <laughs> I really it doesn't make a difference to me, so I'm really careful about you, but. The deal, but.
1: But it's the same one, though. That uh, that yes. was the one through the entire career was, right. was that pitch. Yeah, from probably right.
0: 2009 until 2020. That so was, is
1: it more fitting then that that's the last pitch that you ever threw?
0: I, uh, I think it was the last pitch
1: I ever threw it was a cutter, right? Oh, it was 81. I, I, I thought it was a slider. It came, I think it came was, up and in.
0: I mean, I was fighting. I mean, my hand was numb most of that outing. <laughs> was that Atlanta it was the in- – Yeah, right. Yeah, in- yeah, the Pop-up, Faltair yeah. Yeah, That's that was a, that was a cutter. So it was just a it was okay. a flat bag cutter. Yeah. So do not look at anything I threw in 2020 with any <laughs> great conclusions to draw because I was really honestly treading water at that point. I knew my so, was not
1: so. So so talk talk to me about that. I mean, uh, I do want to hear a bit about just what it's like being you know in the majors the first time too. But you know, there you are. It's it's 2020, and you're you are on multiple teams. You were on the Giants to start it. Um, and then, and then you get to the Red Sox as well. And what's your mentality this season?
0: Yeah, I I went into camp with a a minor league deal with the Giants and, you know, it's three seasons in a row of season ending surgery. So I barely even got out the gate in 2019 because even going back to spring training, I remember being at the Cubs place and feeling that same thing I'd felt my left tip two years prior starting to feel it in my right and going, Oh boy, here we go. So fast forward a month after that, I was already on the shelf and signed the minor league deal going in with the giants. And I just wanted to perform fairly well and be as sharp as I possibly could. Um, you know, I saw a path to contribute at that point. Um, with the giants that year, but now my stuff just wasn't bouncing back as sharply. And I knew the early signs of the TOS stuff kind of coming back and you're fighting every day in the training room to keep, you know, all the numbness, and tightness. Right. Right. Um, at a certain point, yeah, you were just, I was trying to, you know, keep holes from, you know, filling up the ship. So, uh, it started off much more as like a, Hey, let's go out there and compete and let's be healthy for a whole year and, you know, get stronger and actually improve because you haven't been able to really the last few years. Um, sure. At A certain point when I started feeling everything going the way it was and I traveled essentially with my own little miniature training room. And when that wasn't doing nearly what it used to to keep stuff at bay, I knew it was probably headed towards the end. And, um, Yeah. So that was 2020 essentially. So, I mean, it was just for everybody, but
1: so there's your last game and you're, uh, are there conversations being had where you're saying, Hey guys, this is like, this is probably it for me. You know, hopefully I can get one more game in there.
0: Yeah. Well, that was the lead up to it because I, um, I felt the, like the, the thoracic outlet symptoms coming back. Yeah. With a vengeance every single throw, you know, it's like a light, pins and needles and then after a while your index finger and thumb are you know getting achy and then they go completely numb you got to shake it out so that was coming back I mentioned it to the pitching coach Dave Bush at the time and I got through that inning without incident funny enough that was the only time in major league history an entire team of left-handed hitters not switch hitters all left-handed hitters was in a lineup so I have that (laughs) line somewhere Um, but either way I I got through an inning and, and they pulled me out because they saw what I was feeling to their credit. Um, they were on it. And yeah, that's essentially what I said. We had, I don't know, let's say 17 games left in the season. And an IL stint would have a really small window to be healthy. And I essentially said that to them, like, look, I do not want to end this thing on the IL. If there's any way possible that, you know, I can't throw six innings, but I could throw one you know, for my own between the years health, if I could get in there and throw one, you know, inning, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. And it worked out perfectly. I got activated the second to last game of the season. And to their credit, they activated me and let me throw an inning and it worked out perfectly. You know, we had like an eight run lead on the road. So low leverage and got to throw that clean ninth and then turfs on for the last game of the season. And that was it. So, um, I, I was really, really fortunate with how it worked out, and yeah, that
1: been. was it was a wonderful send off. I mean, you, yeah, you yeah, got your outs in the field, it. you know.
0: Dave Bush and Ron Raneke and whoever in the front office decided to pull the trigger on that. So I appreciate being able to do that and not, you know, ending in uh, the training room like so many other seasons had.
1: Definitely. So let's go to the opposite side of the spectrum. Now you're you're with the I believe you get traded to the the Orioles uh, before you made your debut. Yes. Uh, and what was that like? How did you get the call that you would be going off to Baltimore?
0: Yeah, so I um, I was fortunate. I got uh, I got opportunity to go there in double A, just sort of with the understanding that there might be a clearer path to having an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and lateral move, went to double A with them and was there the whole year. But we had a fun group there, ended up winning the Eastern League. I think the average age on our team was like 27 or 28, which is really old for double A. But I felt normal age at 26, which is old for AA. So yeah. Um that it was kind of like being the new kid in school because you it's first time in a new organization, but two uh hadn't even been through a spring training with them I got a phone call as I was packing up my car in Arizona, preparing to drive to northwest Arkansas for another year in AA with the Orioles. And Hours, you know, maybe minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes before I was going to head east for about 17 hours, I got that phone call. So just drove another 13 hours east of Bowie, Maryland. And that was that. But um, it was fun. I mean, definitely the new kid in school because you didn't know anybody. And then boom, the season starts. But I had a blast. And that was kind of a put up or shut up year in my own mind where I knew it was a protection year. And but like it had decent years prior and if I could perform well enough and force their hand then uh maybe we'd be in business and lucky enough that happened so
1: yeah i mean you had you had a phenomenal year uh in double a with the uh, the Orioles uh 61 innings 103 era .87 whip 30% strikeout rate i mean this is,
0: <laughs> oh, I, this is you. I
1: mean you're yeah. 26 in double a and you yeah. <laughs> have a year like that to to do well right And so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, well, so then, so 2016 happens and now you're with Oakland Uh, and, and that's twice now you've been traded already. I, were these easy calls for you? Were you just like, Oh, cool. I guess I'm with Oakland now, you know, or did it really displace you?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it was kind of, the change of scenery is always kind of exciting, but the, uh, now the Orioles thing that was quick. Um, So I, I had just been added to the, 40 man roster that season prior. And, you know, they were working with, you know, as any team is a finite number of roster spots and decided to take mine via release. And I don't know if that was a quirk of the way that the CBA is negotiated the rules with someone who has been added to the roster, but hasn't necessarily opening day hasn't started or you haven't gotten past. I forget there's a transaction benchmark somewhere in spring training in the middle. And I think because before that, they had to release me and or they could dangle a healthy minor league contract in front of someone who had made zero money really playing baseball for the last few years. And maybe they could keep me that way. But I found out on release waivers, I got claimed by the A's and in my mind, it was a no brainer to take, you know, financially a less guaranteed sum of money, but a 40 man roster spot. We really I'm sure you could put a dollar value on it, but when you're mulling over a minor league deal versus major league deal, the dollar amount doesn't matter at all. You're going for the roster spot. So for me, Absolutely. I actually had the choice and it was a no brainer to take the waiver claim. So um, yeah, I was excited. And the most fun part about that is I remember as I was packing up my place at Sarasota, because it all happened within you know, a 24 hour period, it was boom waiver claim, fly to Arizona but I was going to drive my car to Nashville, leave it there, and then fly from Nashville because AAA was, uh, AAA for the A's was Nashville for two or four seasons somewhere in there. So uh, mm-hmm. I just got lucky with that overlap. And growing up yeah. there, I was able to go home and I rode the shuttle most of that year back and forth, but um, it was a really fun year. So I was, I was excited. One opportunity with a 40 man spot, and two, it was neat knowing I'd be starting in AAA that. I'd at least be pitching at home for the first time since high school. So oh,
1: definitely. Fun. And not to mention Oakland is, you know, with the money ball and everything. Oh, Chad Bradford, you know, doesn't throw like your typical pitcher. And what do you know? Oakland's like, yes, we'll take this guy off of waivers. I don't care about him being a sidewinder at all. He had a 103 year and an 8.87 whip uh, for the, for the Orioles.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I remember looking at their 40 man roster too ahead of time and being like, all right, really don't have many triple a arms on the roster. So as long as I Christ. stay healthy and don't, you know, completely mess this thing up, I should have a decent shot to get.
1: And this. you did, you know, 16, uh, games in triple a, but then all of a sudden in, in, 2016, you get your shot and talk to me about what you're feeling. Then when you finally said you were going to the majors.
0: Yeah, it was exciting. So I think, uh, it was April 24th, I got the call and then I pitched the following day in Detroit. Um, no, it was incredible, but I mean, it was great fun. And I had someone actually asked me this uh, the other day. What was it actually like? What were you thinking? Um, and no one had really ever asked me that surprisingly enough. So I really did think about it. And all I could come up with the truth, which is it felt very typical Mm-hmm. mundane is probably the, the wrong word, but it felt like <laughs> I'd done it a bazillion times. And, and right, like yeah, I had, it was just, you know, in Des Moines and Wilming, Wilmington, Delaware, Sacramento, instead of, you know, Detroit or Oakland or Houston or something. So, right. um, I don't know. I, I felt ready and prepared and excited. So I'm maybe just cause it, it worked for me, but I'm a believer in being somewhere longer than you have to, because then when you do make that jump up, whether it's from low A to high A or high A to double A or so on. um, You're not phased by it. There's no imposter syndrome. Am I ready? It's like, yes, of course I'm ready. I've been at this level for too long. So um, it was exciting, but for me it was much less of a, yes, I did it. It was more like, all right, this is great. How do I stick around?
1: Right. And so, so talk to us about that first year, the, uh, the making your debut and uh, what was it like with the teammates there? Who took you under your uh, their wing?
0: Well, it's kind of back and forth the entire first two-thirds of the season, I guess. Um, and so I'd kind of be in and out. I mean, I pitched a scoreless inning on the 25th, and then the very next day I got sent back to uh, AAA, and then I was up for – called up for three games, didn't pitch, went back down, just kind of pinballed. So you're not really yeah. there. And there's no formal like, hey, let's, you know, go grab dinner kind of a thing. It's hope I see you again. Um, But then once I stuck around for a little while, I was in the bullpen most of that year. um, There was such a great core group of veteran relievers there that year. So Ryan Madsen, John Axford, Sean Doolittle, the names that come to mind immediately. Mark Sapchinski was also there. Fernando Rodriguez is just a really good group of veterans.
1: That sounds wonderful. Was well, there,
0: I'm listening to. So it was, I, it was very, very lucky that
1: those, what, what was some of the advice you heard while shacking some fly balls with those guys?
0: You know, no specific advice really jumps to mind. And I kind of kept my mouth shut. Not that I felt like I had to, but mm-hmm. you just sort of pick up a lot by osmosis and hearing them talk about games or, Oh man, I couldn't get anybody out the whole month of June this year and how they work through that. Or, you know, how to pitch an entire half season with something wildly messed up in their arm, or you know, without feel for one of their go-to pitches. So, no specific advice, but just sort of general picking up things by osmosis was really enjoyable and fun, and um, just a funny, good group of guys too. So,
1: oh sure, yeah, uh, yeah we love Sean Doolittle on Twitter and everything. Now we actually we see a lot more of his personality these days, and it's fantastic. Yeah, he's one of the best. Yeah. I so so you have an interesting perspective. You did start a few games in 2016 and then you had 12 all 12 games you played in the majors in uh, the following year, 2017, were starts. And you know the difference between relieving and starting and how being a reliever, it's you are subject to small sample size a ton. Right. Just you have one inning. And if you let up with just one run in that inning, you don't get five others to prove that it was a fluke or something. That's it. You got that and you're done. Uh, What is it like? What were the differences you had to, uh, you know, what were the things you had to do differently as a starter versus a reliever?
0: I think, you know, honestly, maybe if I had done this more as a reliever at the big league level, it would have benefited me, but I, I prepared a lot more just knowing exactly who i'd be facing because you get the line of card but also you'd be facing each of them at least more than once uh maybe as many as three times and so yeah you need at least more than one plan to go after someone just because it works the first time maybe you're so confident
1: you'll go right back to it but you need some other idea um so so about that specifically i'm so curious there's so many ways to attack guys right? Different plans of action. You know, uh, I, I talked to Zach Gallon, he said, look, first inning, I'm thinking like a closer. I'm throwing everything yeah, so that when I see them later on, they're thinking about all the things and it doesn't matter, right? You're more of a two pitch guy. Uh, so how are you, what is your general structure or what are the kind of different plans that you have through a game?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it, there were three distinct pitches, but I think the cutter and breaking ball might get morphed into one sometimes sure but yeah the, the stuff that picks it up because I would throw each at different speeds um, you know the slower cutter harder cutter slower curveball slider breaking ball gotcha okay. harder one um but really the most effective thing for me is you just I would watch you know the lineup of let's say 12 guys in the days leading up that I'm most likely to face and then obviously you hone in on the nine the day up but I would just watch a lot of video of them. I'd see what they did damage on. I'd see what they consistently recorded outs on, uh, soft hit, soft contacts, but also, you know, swings and misses as well. And just sort of everybody kind of fits into a bucket at a certain point. You know, sure. if, I'm watching, if I'm looking at 12 guys, let's see, there are probably two groups of three, whether they're lefties or righties or certain kind of, Contact or power hitters that you group together. You can bunch certain folks together, and then there's probably two or three where I'm, I just I have no idea. I watch enough <laughs> video. I look at comparables, guys who might have similar arsenals, and that's when you know I definitely lean on catchers or pitching coaches what they think, and you you just kind of formulate a game plan based on styles and what you've seen them do, and a lot of times stuff jumps off the page at you where you go, holy cow. He does not miss this or for some reason, this incredible hitter that everybody knows who's making a boatload of money. For some reason, he struggles with that. Let's see if we can explore right. that. Or I got to ask someone else to make sure I'm not drawing the wrong conclusion here, but just kind of fun formulating a game plan and thinking about how will I, like the intellectual exercise of how will I get this guy out? Yeah. Really fun. And as a reliever, I, I just did in the big leagues what I did in the minor leagues, which is you know okay, here we are. What's my best stuff? Let's go. Versus being a bit more
1: guess, thoughtful
0: about how I'm going to go about it. And uh, so,
1: so I would it, imagine you had kind of a cheat sheet in your head, though, right? So like your slider, uh, sorry, your curveball. I, I got, I'll get this. Whatever you call it. <laughs> it no, uh, so okay, so so your curveball down the away to uh, to righties a ton. I would imagine someone like Pujols, who I, I think you saw a decent amount. I, okay, always got to make sure that that breaking ball falls down and away out of the zone every time, right? I, is it then for a guy like that? Is it, you know, the typical blueprint for someone like you would be okay, right handers, I'm going to throw that sinker inside as much as I can, hoping I get them to roll over or ground out on their own. Maybe get some foul balls off of the plate with it. Then the breaking ball down and away. Maybe if I really need to surprise them, I'll do a cutter, hopefully, hoping to get that down and away part of the zone. Uh, if it's a lefty, then cutters maybe up and in trying to do the same thing I did with the two-seamer, but then try and spot the, the two-seamer way, maybe the breaking ball underneath. Is that the general cheat sheet? Is there more to it than that?
0: Yeah, I, I'd say that's sort of the general book on most cities right. and what your arsenal is that works. But yeah, arm side for me, into righties, away to lefties would be sort of the fail safe. I don't know what else to do. Let's just do this. Um, but this might sound, you know, a little silly or irreverent, but just being weird, I found, yeah. really yeah. Helped, you know, and, and saying like, guy keeps fouling these things off. Like, I don't know, let's, let's throw a two one or a two, two cutter here for no reason. You know, let's just see why not. You know, he keeps fouling off those other ones. He's clearly not, not seeing the breaking ball. Let's do a cutter here. Right. Um, but yeah, what you described, thats sort of the general book that you would have. But just being unpredictable, I found, was as effective as spotting the perfect pitch. Because at least for me, I spot my perfect pitch. Big league hitters are really good; um, they they'll do damage with that or put a good swing on it. And if you, even if you spot it two times in a row, they're usually not going to miss that second one as much. It's but- so
1: obnoxious.
0: But yeah, if you throw a little I have plenty of times where i dump a two-one breaking ball in there, it'd be poorly located, kind of middle flat. I'm sure all the saber metrics would say it was a crappy pitch, and I probably agree with them, but guys won't offer at it. And all of a sudden, boom, you're back in the count, and then yeah. you're doing what you want to do. So um I that that really worked effectively for me for a while. Um, you know, even even when I was uh you know, not feeling my best. That was one thing that really allowed me to have, you know, some modicum of success at times was just being unpredictable with your pitch quality. But um, yeah, what you did describe though is sort of the general book that definitely works. But if I learned anything from talking to other guys, it's, it's and also just facing big league hitters, they're really good at making adjustments and, right. you know, your best and their best, at least for me you know, Pujols' best is better than my best. So, how do you beat him? You got to—I don't know—surprise him, weird, that's yeah. What, yeah, that's what I went with. So,
1: exactly, um. I like that. Yeah, Dan Heron, There's a Dan Heron quote that always sticks with me, which is um, on 3-0 fastballs. He would say, "Hey, you know, guys, pop up balls in BP, right? <laughs> you know, and just be like, whatever. I'm just gonna throw it, and it, maybe it'll just be weird and work. I uh, and and there is that idea, like, of I'm certainly someone guilty of um, seeking perfection, and watching pitchers and go. Oh man, if he had just executed that one just right, or he got away with this. But the game is human, you know. Right. There's so much success and failure. You can succeed, but they can also succeed, and vice versa. Uh, and you at least have to give them the opportunity to fail, right? Um, which is in such. Uh, it can be so hard to convince yourself that in those moments, but they are not necessarily going to always succeed too. And
0: yeah. It's, you know, you're thinking of different stuff and so are we, you know, yeah. Like a pitcher hangs a breaking ball and it's a three run Homer. And you know, you're sitting at home. Why'd you do that? He didn't want to do that. He screwed up. Sometimes <laughs> you just screw up. You don't want to hang that one. And then other exactly. times, you know, a guy throws a backup breaking ball, middle, middle, and it's strike three looking. and Someone's saying, well, how did, how did he not swing at that? It was right down the middle. Clearly he was thinking about something else. And, he got taken by surprise by a bad pitch.
1: It's just. You know, are there, are there know, certain. Are um, there are there certain at bats that you remember uh, that I. Well, I guess, I guess what I like to talk about a lot is reading batters inside in that bat. For example, yeah, if they're not swinging at that one zero breaking ball or that the 1, that means, okay, cool, they're looking for a fastball right now. And then you'll see them when you throw your next fastball, foul it off. And you'll see that oftentimes they have a certain game plan against you, and you can kind of work against that. Um, have there been certain times that you remember where you say, "Okay, dude, I got you. I see you've given your hand, and I've exploited this." Not,
0: I, I don't remember one. And, and at least for me, maybe I wasn't talented talented enough to where if I had my best stuff, I could just take that at them nonstop. You still had mm-hmm. to think about keeping them on their toes or being unpredictable, but. um, Definitely within at-bats, you would see someone show their hand maybe where, you know, you throw a really good 0-2 breaking ball or 1-2 breaking ball. The guy just doesn't offer at all. Or sometimes you'll see him take that one that's just off, but you can tell he's tracking yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And also he's timed up. I see that. and You see that and you go, uh-uh, like, nope, something else. Because like, right. you've seen also in the minor leagues, this is, well, I'm a proponent of, keeping guys there for a little bit while longer is not longer than now, but until you've proven you can dominate that level, go up is you see that kind of stuff in the minor leagues, but you don't necessarily process it. And then, you know, you give up a 500 foot home run to Jorge Soler and lowe and you go, all right, <laughs> now I know when someone does that, that's what they're telling me that they're ready for right. 500 feet. So,
1: right. Uh, yeah. It is really funny that they do that. And I understand it because you kind of want to showcase, like, I've got you. But then you're saying, well, dude, you're, thanks. I won't do that. You know, you're helping well, the me out. Is,
0: but the thing is, like, you just don't know really to, to look for it. And and you could yeah. watch it on video and say, keep an eye out for this. But in the moment, you might not see it. And for them, right, it's right. very much part of tracking it. So I don't yeah. know anything about hitting my 0 for 2, bigly, <laughs> 2 punch out average. Well, it attest to hey, this, little- But it seems to me, like, it'd be really hard to track something without really physically, you know, showing everything. You kind of got to can't be static just standing there and be a robot and say no. So it's not a right. huge tell, but to answer the original question, you would pick stuff up on stuff, but I was, I was probably, you know, high school diploma level at that. And there are guys I'm sure you'll speak to or guys I've played with who are PhDs in it. So <laughs> it was kind of well, getting better at it, but catchers are the best too. And that's why oh, yeah, when in doubt, defer to them because they've seen this hitter more than you and they they just pick up on that stuff.
1: Definitely. I, so to, to extend this question, something we ask everybody is you've, you've thrown a lot of pitches in your day from, from little league to high school, obviously to the majors. Uh, is there a certain pitch or an at bat that you'll never forget?
0: No, I wouldn't say I wasn't fortunate enough to, you know, pitch up high leverage inning in a playoff game or a, a real division deciding game. But, there are definitely at bats here and there that stick out, but nothing where I go, Oh, that pitch was huge. You know, Maybe a big sure. swing and strike three with like, you know, the bases loaded somewhere where it's packed out and you're on the road. Like those are fun. And, you know, you remember fist bumping and everything, but no one pitch that really jumps
1: out. Nothing. What would you say is you're the best one you've thrown then? See,
0: I, I was, I thought originally that was the question you were answering. So, um, I don't, I don't know if it was the best one, but I had a decent outing in May of 2017 um, in Houston and like maybe nine punch outs that game. And it, I uh, I just felt like my breaking ball was really sharp and I had great feel for it that game too. So I was thinking of one I one strikeout from that game, but I don't think that pitch was as good. It was just a freaking battle of an at-bat and yeah. finally guessed wrong or chased it. Um but if you want to go back and look at video May of or April or May of 17, it was those were good breaking balls, but no one sticks out
1: from that outing. All right. We've talked a lot about in game, and something I wanted to go into a little bit is Yeah, the journey for you in the sense that, all right, here you are, you were in the minors for a while, you you play in the game, you have that final season, and we say, all right, you know what? I think this is it. What happens next for you? Is it I. Uh, you know, what did you do in that off season really after twenty twenty? Um, it's the first time in your life that you're not moving toward that goal of pitching more in baseball. What was that transition like?
0: Yeah, it was it was strange and it was even probably stranger with it being during the, the COVID year. Uh yeah. you know, because otherwise, you know, I feel like it probably would have just like disappeared to South America. Not in like a sad way, but just sort of in a Let's go travel and do some fun sure, Yeah. We're spending, you know.
1: And and you know, it's not, you know, if you want to go off to just disappear in South America, it's not sad. It's all no, right. thought, It's okay. That'd
0: be a blast. You know, I had my first real summer in like 16 years this past year. Was, oh, that's you know, true. Yeah. I'd spent four or five off seasons in a row in training rooms, like not going on vacations because I was right. very healthy. So it's my job. Um, so no, I it was it was I, it was a quick transition for me and a little stranger that everything was still very much locked down. Um, so you're kind of stuck at home, but the decision I made really for lack of a better idea, and the more I really thought about it, it made a ton of sense for taking a step forward and into something else was going to business school. And so I, uh, I got released end of October and I had a sense I was done, like I said, but that kind of was the the final okay. Yeah. There are all those moments throughout the off season where you're kind of expecting to be in that wave shed from the 40-man. Been a few of those cycles, and I was thinking, well, I have, are they going to really keep me on the roster? Like, well, do I have to get healthy again? Like, I got to get ready to go because, of course, I would have been. But I was expecting to get released. So when it finally happened, I sat on it for about a week, and then um, – you know, I, I just checked the, the deadlines for different business schools. There are several rounds and a new round two is December, January, somewhere in there. And, you know, would I be able to cobble together applications within a couple months without, you know, having taken a standardized test since high school or writing an essay or who the heck would even write a recommendation? But I was able to get that done in two months. So I was released in October. Applications were in. A year ago today, my first one went in. Actually, How is that right? I did my standardized test on January second, so it was a quick turnaround. Oh wow! Um, and then I heard back in March, made a decision in April, and uh, then kind of used that summer to travel a little bit and you know get ready to start this next step in business school. So I'm excited for uh, what lays ahead and for what I'm learning now and the new life, but, um, it was, it seemed like it took a while, but it was a quick transition, honestly. I mean, I was moving into my place here in Chicago and, you know, a year prior, I was still you know very much playing baseball. Um, right. so it was very quick, but I don't know, you got to stay busy and keep stuff on your plate. Cause if I was just shuffling around back home in Nashville, I really don't, I don't know exactly what I would have done next. Um, Certainly something interesting eventually, but uh I was excited to try something else, look into something else.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get that completely. And you're going to business school, so now you're just gonna learn all the all of the stats and understand your career better than ever.
0: A little bit, yeah. That. By the skin of my <laughs> teeth, I got through uh, our, our statistics stuff here. So I'd taken math since high school. So that was a bit of a there we go.
1: A heavy. Uh, lead, I, but yeah. But uh, and then um how do you, how are you scratching your itch then? You know, you must've watched the season differently for the first time, actually, you know, watch it as a fan in 2021. How are you, you know, involving yourself in the sport these days?
0: I don't know. It's, it's just fun to stay in touch with buddies who are still playing. So yeah. I'll, I'll keep tabs on them and uh, my buddy who's with Anaheim when they came through, played the White Sox. It was fun to catch up. So really following it through friends and, I think maybe once I'm here for a whole summer, maybe I'll follow the White Sox or Cubs a little bit more closely. But I don't know. I was a fan before I was any good at it. I was kind of a nut growing up watching baseball games, and my dad and I would go to spring training every single year over uh, spring break. And so I can be—I can really enjoy it just watching too. I don't have to be playing, even though it's sure. that's by far the most fun thing. But
1: who's your who's your favorite pitcher out there right now? Mm.
0: I mean, sort of a, a longest well, two teammates, both lefties. Manaya, oh, yeah.
1: I still love watching, and he's, oh, he's uh, great. He's one of the best, one of the best people out there. He's he's kind of like you on the other side in some ways, a little bit. Yeah, but he's uh his his stuff is it's nasty, and the guy freaking competes, and he's
0: a big goofball too. So he, big he fan. And,
1: all of this velocity this year too, which yeah. is so exciting.
0: Well, and for him, and that's the weird thing about, and like, I haven't talked to him specifically about this, so I don't know, but I know he has been coming off with the shoulder thing was 2017, I think.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. The yeah. Shoulder
0: surgery. I mean, it does take time for your body really to right, right. get back into that, that recovery cycle and getting stronger, um, over the course of off season. So, um, uh, yeah, I don't really know about the added velo, but he's fun to watch, and I'm I'm rooting for Rich Hill to be pitching when he's 50.
1: So. Oh, we all are, man. That's, that's just oh. oh yeah. You were you were on the same team. That's right in Oakland, right? I uh, uh, when he oh when he surprised yeah, he all of us out of nowhere.
0: Uh, that was, that that was incredible,
1: something. and
0: I uh, I was really lucky
1: too because he was
0: still with Oakland when I wound up starting some games toward the end towards the end of the season, and I don't think. Especially at that point in his career, in his transition, that there was a better person to talk to about me yeah. from relieving to starting than him, because what a year prior he had gone from Long Island Ducks to Pawtucket to Boston and right. got a one year deal with the A's out of that shocked so. us.
1: Uh, I, I mean, still was- remember his curveball to to Brett Gardner and going, wait a second, this is yeah. the most ridiculous thing I've seen all year. And so
0: yeah, I'm uh, I'm a fan, obviously, but he's. Uh, those are two I definitely like to watch, but um, I'll be honest. I was a bit less engaged this year than most. Uh, oh, sure. Most of my former teammates would like to hear me uh, say, or maybe <laughs> you would like to hear me. Well, say. Yeah,
1: you want, you want a little bit of a break, right? Even so much of your life that it's, I, I totally understand that.
0: Well, there's plenty of other interesting stuff to do too, but I did love yeah. these. Uh, I, I did love the playoffs, but um, no, I, I think uh, those are probably the two there. I mean, Scherzer's a freaking competitor.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh,
0: there's a lot of really good arms in the game right now. And it's really right. exciting. I mean, I turn it's up games now and, you know, you'd look a guy up and be like, oh, wow, this guy's been up for a year and a half. Like, holy cow, look at this stuff. Look at his numbers. Like, I really paying right, yeah. attention. Who are these people? But there are a lot of good, talented young players out there.
1: Oh, there's also so many. All- and I can't out. wait for all of them to get their proper limelight. Um, And we talked about you the same way, Andrew Triggs, just so you know. We were thrilled (laughs) seeing you get your starts and your opportunities.
0: Yeah, well, I was was quirky, that's for sure. There's a... There's, there's an interesting subset of, of fantasy people who, who really like me for some reason. I don't know. It was <laughs> like a goodbye in like April of 2017 for a few weeks. But it really well, you, is fantasy people that go, oh.
1: when when you got your chances, Andrew, we knew you were a ground balled guy with a really nice slider that earned a lot of strikeouts. We, we understood this. Uh, and, you know, we, we felt you're, you were taken too soon uh yep. with by your injuries
0: well i hope i hope you didn't buy high and sell low
1: Ah, don't worry <laughs> don't worry about that stuff who cares about <laughs> us and our games we just wanted you to do well yeah it was fun though but- um the the last question i have because i mean this is coming up close to an hour and i cannot thank you enough for uh for taking the time with me um is i we as i talked about with jerry blevins you know he answered this question with an incredible story about dan Warton. is there a mound visit you've had you know because we always dream of like um What's the Susan Sarandon movie? Oh my God. Bull Durham. Sorry. Uh, I forgot the name of that, but I remember Susan Sarandon. Uh, they they have that mound visit where they're talking about, uh, just not baseball. Yeah. 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 Did you, what is the best mound visit you've had?
0: So I had, I had a really good mound visit. Um, I'll go to the specific. It was nothing, you know, that wouldn't go on a PG movie, but, uh, it was specific to the two of us. Um, but an awesome pitching coach in double-A that year with the Orioles, Alan Mills, who's one of my favorite people. Um, And I was having a a good year that year in 2015. And I think I was like sub one for a huge chunk of the year. And part of me also just knew it was inevitable. You're going to give up, you know, you're going to have that outing where your stuff's good or it's just mediocre and weird stuff happens and you're going to give up two or three runs. It was that kind of a day but I was able to you know work around it where you know it could have been a six run or a five run inning it was that just ground ball here ground ball there you know duck fart that goes as a double and then you know misplay then I give up a double in the gap one of those kinds of days and so to break it up Milsey came out and he uh I will go to the specifics of the conversation, but we talked for probably 45 seconds to a whole minute about something completely unrelated to what I was going to do in that inning or what I had to do. And uh, he, he just mid-conversation said, yep, and just walked away. It clearly was like a 45-second. <laughs> it's not nearly as funny if I don't go into the specifics, but, you know, for both our sakes, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, but that was probably one of my most – that was probably my – favorite one um, non-recorded. I'd finish that one, but <laughs> no, it was funny, but I've heard of a lot of other good ones too. You know, like some guy who gave up seven straight singles in the AZL on, you know, eight pitches or something like that, just whack, whack, whack ambush. And pitching coach goes out there and it was very, um, very religious, you know, religious, Bible study attending pitcher and the guy goes out there and pitching coaches, this old guy in his 70s or so and he says son have you ever been to Las Vegas you know this guy who went to vacation Bible school going up of course he's never been to Las Vegas it's right. in rural North Carolina and he was, uh, NOSA. he was the second we're done here surprise was about four hours from Las Vegas the second we're done here I get my car I drive straight there because you are on effing fire after giving up seven hits on like eight pitches. (laughs) So that was my favorite one I heard about. And I knew the two people involved because I played with them later that year, but there's some
1: good ones out there,
0: but yeah, that's fantastic. I've never heard Jerry's. I'm sure it's a bazillion times better. I
1: I don't want to spoil it to those that haven't listened to that podcast for discretion
0: instead of the laugh line. So, (laughs)
1: Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Andy, man, thank you so much for being here. This is this is incredible. Uh, I cannot think enough. It's been a whole hour with me, um, answering all my silly questions, and getting giving us a good glimpse of what it was like, uh, you know, being a major leaguer and your whole process. And now you get into it. Is there anything that you know, you want the people to know about? Uh, to send their way uh, for everyone listening.
0: No, I just I'd like to send a uh, an optimistic and hopeful uh hopeful word that we we start this year without any uh any hiccups and we get a whole 162 in so absolutely there are good vibes out for that
1: yes yes could not could not agree more andrew um but right that's gonna do it for this episode of talking pitching uh that was andrew triggs i am nick pollock and to a wonderful 2022 season ahead